Rite of Exorcism was first promulgated, published for use in the Church, by Pope Paul V in 1614. Although there is a new rite that was promulgated in 1999, exorcists generally don't use it. Therefore, we will examine the 1614 rite. The rite of exorcism has three parts. First, the instructions. Second, the exorcism of one possessed by a demon. And third, the exorcism of Satan and the fallen angels. The instructions are just that, instructions for the exorcist on how to conduct the ritual. The second part is what we usually think of when we hear the word exorcism. It is used to drive the demons out of a possessed person. The purpose of the third part is to drive the demons from a particular place. This video is on the first part, the instructions. Part 1. Signs of Demon Possession The rite states that the exorcist should not believe too readily that an individual is possessed but should distinguish demon possession from mental disorders by three signs. The first sign is the ability to speak with some facility in a strange language or to understand it when spoken by another. The language may be ancient or modern, but it must be real. Unintelligible babbling does not qualify. They must have facility, meaning more than a few phrases. The exorcist may need to investigate to ensure that the person truly does not know the language they are speaking. For example, if they speak in Latin, he should find out if they actually learned some Latin earlier in life. The second sign is the faculty of divulging distant and hidden events. Though demons do not know the future as God does, they know more than human beings and may appear to know the future. For example, a demon may know that the exorcist's car has a problem and thereby be able to predict that it is going to break down. The demon may also be able to tell the exorcist things about his past that the possessed individual could not know on his own. The third sign is the display of powers beyond the subject's age and natural condition. This refers to physical powers, such as the possessed person showing unnatural strength or levitating into the air. The exorcist should not be too quick to presume that abnormal strength indicates demon possession, since people who are not in their right minds or are intoxicated on drugs or alcohol may demonstrate unusual strength when they do not care about hurting themselves or others. Included in this sign are acute pain, swelling, or other unnatural disturbance of the person's body. If this occurs, the exorcist makes the sign of the cross over that part of the body and sprinkles it with holy water. Objects moving of their own accord and inexplicable noises or visual effects in the vicinity of the person 
may also be considered a display of unnatural powers that indicate demon possession. After enumerating the three signs, the rite states that the exorcist may take into account various other indications which, when taken together as a whole, build up the evidence. An additional indication of demon possession that is mentioned in the rite is a negative reaction to the sacred. For example, the possessed person blaspheming when the Our Father or Hail Mary is prayed, or crying out when sprinkled with holy water. But this sign alone is not enough, since a person who wrongly believes himself to be possessed by demons may react the same way. Since other indications are not specified, Exorcists have some latitude in deciding what constitutes a sign of possession. Some exorcists may attribute other problems to demonic attack, such as illness, financial difficulties, and relationship struggles. But other exorcists do not take these into account, since they may be unrelated to an extraordinary demonic attack. practice, bishops want the exorcist to consult with physicians and psychologists to help make the determination. A line in the instructions implies this. It states that the exorcist should guard against giving or recommending any medicine to the patient, but should leave this care to physicians. Part 2. Logistics of the Exorcism The only person who is to perform the rite of exorcism is a priest, appointed by the bishop of the location where it takes place. The priest should be distinguished for his piety, prudence, humility, and moral qualities. He should be of mature years, though no age is specified. He should also have studied a great deal the subjects of demonology, possession, and exorcism. The exorcist should go to confession and offer Mass on the day of the exorcism, if at all possible. The exorcist is reminded of the words of Christ, that is, that some demons can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. Therefore, he should take time to pray and he should fast in preparation for the exorcism, and he should ask others such as a convent of nuns, to pray and fast for the demons to be driven out. The instructions indicate that the ideal is to perform the exorcism in a sacred place that is also private in order to avoid attracting attention. This might be a church that will not have people visiting, or the chapel of a monastery, convent, or rectory. If that is not possible or practical, the exorcism may take place in the home of the possessed person or their relative or friend, so long as it is private.
The Exorcist vests in cassock, surplus, and violet stole. The right says nothing about recordings, but exorcists, as a rule, do not make video recordings because of the danger of them being publicized. Some exorcists make audio recordings for the purpose of later review and study. The rite of exorcism tells the exorcist that he may persist for several hours or more at a time if he believes he is making progress. Some exorcists end each session after an hour or two. Exorcists typically need anywhere from three or four sessions up to 10 or 12. Some say they have taken dozens of sessions have still not succeeded. In these cases, it must be asked if the exorcist is mistaken and the person actually mentally ill rather than demon-possessed. The right indicates that there should be some assistance, but only a few, to intercede, that is, to pray during the exorcism. They may also help to restrain the possessed person if he becomes physically aggressive, which happens on some occasions, they should never speak to the possessed person or to the possessing spirits. While performing the exorcism over a woman, the exorcist should have women assisting him, preferably her relatives. Part 3 Questions and Deceptions The rite cautions the exorcist not to fall into needless discussion with demons, nor to let his curiosity lead him to ask irrelevant questions. The possessing demons may offer to give him hidden information or tell him about future events, but he is to ignore this and to command them to speak only in response to his questions. For example, one exorcist stated that the devil said to him, quote, I was standing at the cross. I was standing at Bethlehem. I was standing in Nazi Germany. I was there. What do you want to know? End quote. The instructions tell the exorcist not to be fooled if the devil claims to be a good angel, a saint, or some other deceased person. However, the instructions tell the exorcist to ask the following questions. The number of demons, their names, how and when they entered the person. It adds that similar questions may be asked. The rite also tells the exorcist to command the demons to tell when they will leave and what will be the sign that they have departed. The demons will, of course, lie about all these matters, so the exorcist must persist until he is certain that the demons have been driven out. This is typically shown by a dramatic end to the signs of possession, followed by prolonged peacefulness of the possessed person.
the instructions warned the exorcist that, quote, the arts and frauds of the evil one for deceiving a man are innumerable. For this reason, the exorcist must be on his guard not to fall into this trap, end quote. Such deceptions include convincing the person he is actually not possessed, giving deceptive answers to questions, pretending to have been expelled by leaving the person in peace for a period of time. The instructions conclude with this warning, quote, after the possessed one has been freed, let him be admonished to guard himself carefully against falling into sin, so as to afford no opportunity to the evil spirit of returning, lest the last state of that man become worse than the former. End quote. Serious sins weaken our relationship with God, and those who are knowingly determined to indulge in such sins are building a relationship with evil. This is especially dangerous for those who have been victims of possession. Jesus warned that if they open themselves to demons a second time, the results are even worse than the first. Summary. Exorcism is done by a priest appointed by the bishop. The exorcism is performed in a private place, whether at church or home, with a few people present to pray. Three signs of demon possession are facility in a strange language, knowledge of distant or hidden events, and strength or other occurrence outside the laws of nature. Reactions such as screaming when sprinkled with holy water may occur, but in itself do not prove possession. The exorcist is not to converse with demons, but to ask relevant questions such as their number and names. Prolonged period of peace indicates the exorcism is done. Video 9, The Rite of Exorcism. Part 1, The Rite of Exorcism of One Possessed by a Demon. The exorcist begins by making the sign of the cross over the possessed person, the others present, and himself. He then sprinkles holy water on all present. He kneels and prays the litany of the saints, the Our Father, and a psalm. The exorcist says a prayer, asking God to forgive the sins of the possessed person and to drive the devil from him. Invoking the power of the incarnation, passion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and the descent of the Holy Spirit. The exorcist commands the unclean spirits to tell him their names and some sign of the day and hour that they will depart. 
Furthermore, he demands that they obey him to the letter, and not harm anyone present or their possessions. The Exorcist reads at the beginning of the Gospel of St. John, and several additional Gospel readings, in which Jesus talks about casting out devils. The exorcist then prays in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his own sins and for the faith, power, and courage to attack the devil. He makes the sign of the cross on himself and on the possessed person. He touches the end of the violet stole he is wearing to their neck, and he lays his hand on their head and prays for God's help and the assault that he is about to make on the evil spirits. During the exorcisms that follow, he repeatedly makes this sign of the cross over the possessed person and on their forehead and chest. The exorcist says the first of three exorcisms, which are the commands to the demons to leave the possessed person. In this first exorcism, he calls the devil the carrier of death, robber of life, shirker of justice, root of all evil, fomenter of vice, seducer of men, terror of nations, instigator of envy, font of avarice, source of discord, exciter of sorrows. He concludes with a prayer asking God to protect the possessed person and to drive the devil from them. The exorcist says the second of the three exorcisms. He states that it is not himself alone, the exorcist, that commands the devil to leave. It is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, along with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. The exorcist reminds the devil that Jesus Christ has laid waste his kingdom, put him in chains, and cast him into the outer darkness. He concludes with a prayer, acknowledging God as God of heaven and earth, and all the angels and saints, and asking him to deliver the possessed person from the unclean spirits. The exorcist says the third and final exorcism. It refers to several Bible passages, the destruction of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, David playing his harp to drive the devil from King Saul, the condemnation of the apostle Judas. It reminds the unclean spirits of what they said while possessing the man at Gerasen. What are we to you, O Jesus, the Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? It calls the devil, prince of accursed murder, author of lechery, leader in sacrilege, model of vileness, teacher of heretics, inventor of every obscenity. rubrics, or instructions in red letters that appear throughout the ritual, tell the exorcist, quote, all that precedes can be repeated as needs be until the possessed person is fully liberated, end quote. The rubrics add that, quote, it will be very helpful to say devoutly over and over again the Our Father, Hail Mary, and the Creed.
the exorcist prays the Magnificat and the Benedictus, which are the prayers of the Virgin Mary and of Zechariah, from chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. He concludes them with the prayer, Glory Be. The exorcist recites the Athanasian Creed, which is a very precise statement of the faith. He then prays Psalms 91, 68, 70, 118, 35, 22, 3, 11, and 13. All of these psalms ask God to defeat the enemy. When the demons have been vanquished and driven from the possessed person, the exorcist concludes with a prayer asking that the devil have no power over the person and that they may be filled with the goodness and peace of Jesus Christ. Part 2. Exorcism Against Satan and the Fallen Angels As distinct from the previous section of the ritual, this section is used to drive evil spirits from a particular place, which could be a building such as a house, or a location such as a town. The exorcist begins by asking St. Michael the Archangel to pray to God for help against the devil and, quote, to cast him bound into the abyss so that he may no longer seduce mankind, end quote. The exorcist then invokes the name of Jesus Christ and asks the intercession of the Virgin Mary, St. Michael, Saints Peter and Paul, and all the saints. He prays two verses from Psalm 68, asking God to defeat the enemy. Quote, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may those who hate him flee before him. As the smoke is dispersed, disperse them. As wax is melted by fire, so may the wicked perish before God. words of exorcism command the demons to cease their deception of men and desist from harming the church. This differs from the previous ritual in which the exorcist commanded the demons to leave a particular possessed individual. In this concluding prayer, the exorcist asks God to deliver us by thy might from every power of the accursed spirits, from their bondage and from their deception. The ritual concludes with the exorcist sprinkling the area with holy water. This too differs from the exorcism of a possessed individual person, in which it is the person rather than the place that is sprinkled with holy water. We conclude this series of videos on Catholic demonology with the following instruction from the rite of exorcism, which says that the possessed person should turn to God, 
he should entreat with firm faith and in all humility. And if he is all the more grievously tormented, he ought to bear this patiently, never doubting the divine assistance. The rite of exorcism includes the Litany of the Saints, the Athanasian Creed, the Our Father, and the Hail Mary. The exorcist recites gospels and psalms and frequently makes the sign of the cross and sprinkles holy water. Three times he recites exorcisms, commands to the demons to leave in the name of God and his son Jesus Christ. Each is followed with a prayer, asking God's help. After the demons are driven out, the exorcist prays that the person be filled with the peace of Christ. A separate part of the ritual is an exorcism to drive demons from a place rather than from a person. into fire or water, 
foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becoming unconscious. Jesus addressed the demon as a deaf and mute spirit. At Jesus' command, it departed, crying out and convulsing greatly as it did so. The child briefly appeared to be dead until Jesus lifted him up by the hand. When the apostles asked why they had been unable to drive out the demon, Jesus replied, This kind is not cast out except through prayer and fasting. On all of the occasions in which Jesus performed exorcisms, it is either implied or stated explicitly that the symptoms were completely relieved. But Jesus warned that it is possible for an expelled demon to possess its victim again and to return with other demons, leaving the person in an even worse condition. Part 2. The Apostles as Exorcists Jesus said that his followers would drive out demons in his name. The New Testament states that his apostles did so on many occasions. He sent the twelve apostles to visit towns and villages in Israel in order to cure the sick and expel demons, which they were able to do successfully. He later sent 72 followers on a similar mission, and upon their return, they reported that his name gave them power over demons. The Acts of the Apostles records that the Apostle Philip preached to the people of a Samaritan city. Many of them had unclean spirits, and crying out with a loud voice, these departed from them. The Apostles once complained to Jesus when a man who was not of their company, apparently not traveling and staying with Jesus and his disciples, was driving out demons in his name. Jesus overruled the objection of his apostles and approved of the man continuing this practice. However, when certain Jewish exorcists attempted to drive out demons using the name of Jesus, one demon said it did not recognize them and the possessed man violently attacked them. St. Paul performed an exorcism of a slave girl who was possessed by a clairvoyant spirit, which gave her fortune-telling abilities. The Christians in Ephesus touched clothes to St. Paul's skin and used them to drive out demons from the sick. Part 3. Sacraments, Sacramentals, and Exorcism the church, Jesus gives us the seven sacraments, which may be defined as outward signs instituted by Christ to give grace. Sacraments are said to work ex opere operato, which may be translated by the work worked. This means that when a sacrament is performed, according to the ritual of the church, its intended effect is not dependent on the person administering it. For example, when people go to confession, if they confess their sins honestly and sincerely ask forgiveness, 
Their sins are forgiven when the priest says the proper words from the rite of penance. The priest may be a great saint or a great sinner, but that does not affect the power of the sacrament. The sins are forgiven ex opere operato, by the work worked, by the rite of penance being administered by a priest. All seven sacraments work in this way. There are lesser church rituals called sacramentals, which are defined as sacred signs instituted by the church to sanctify different circumstances of life. They include a prayer accompanied by the sign of the cross and other signs. Examples of sacramentals are blessings, holy water, and blessed objects, such as crucifixes and rosaries. The sacramentals work in two ways, ex opere operantis, which means by the work of the worker, and presertim operante ecclesia, which means especially working through the church. Without getting too deep into the theology, this means that in some way a sacramental receives its power from the church, but its effect also depends upon the person doing the work. For example, because of the power the church gives to a priest, there is a certain spiritual benefit in receiving a blessing from him. However, the power of a blessing or a prayer is also dependent upon the goodness or holiness of the priest or person offering it. Exorcism is a sacramental, which tells us two things. First, while it may be the church's most powerful means of expelling demons, in the overall picture, it is not as powerful as a sacrament. For example, exorcism cannot wipe away original sin as baptism does, or forgive mortal sins as the sacrament of penance does. So, even though the rite of exorcism can drive out demons, it cannot help souls in the way that sacraments can. Second, the power of the rite of exorcism is from the church, but it also depends upon the particular exorcist. An authorized exorcist who properly performs the rite of exorcism is going to have some power over demons. However, an exorcist may negate this power if his soul is in a state of mortal sin. That is why the rite instructs bishops to carefully choose virtuous priests to be exorcists. Of course, the closer that anyone is to Christ, the greater will that person's power be over demons. For example, because of her holiness and her power over demons, St. Margaret of Antioch is invoked as a patron for protection against the devil. Exorcists simply have another weapon to use, the rite of exorcism, that adds to their ability to drive out demons. Part 4. The Definition of Exorcism The word exorcism comes from the Greek word exorcizo, which means to adjure, which in turn can be defined to charge, bind, or command earnestly and solemnly. The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines exorcism as follows, quote, when the Church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his dominion, it is called exorcism. Jesus performed exorcisms, and from him the Church has received the power and office of exorcising.
That passage from the Catechism indicates several meanings of the word exorcism, from broader to more specific. In its widest Catholic meaning, exorcism is asking God either to protect a person or object from the devil, or to drive the devil from them. An example of this is in the current or ordinary form of the rite of baptism, in which the prayer of exorcism praises God for sending his son to cast out the power of Satan, spirit of evil, and to rescue man from the kingdom of darkness. The traditional rituals of the church were more direct. For example, in the traditional blessings for holy water and salt, the priest is actually addressing these elements as he demands that the demons leave them. The blessing for holy water includes these words, God's creature, water, I cast out the demon from you in the name of God, the Father Almighty, in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The blessing for salt is similar. God's creature, salt, I cast out the demon from you by the living God, by the true God, by the holy God. In the narrower sense of the word exorcism, it is differentiated from prayer in that prayer is addressed to God, whereas in exorcism, the demons themselves are addressed. They are ordered in the name of Jesus Christ to depart. Three such commands are found in the traditional or extraordinary form of the rite of baptism. They are called minor exorcisms. They are spoken in Latin, translated into English. They are as follows in part. Go out from him, thou unclean spirit, and make way for the Holy Spirit, the Consoler. I cast thee out, unclean spirit, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Depart and vanish from this servant of God. I expel thee, every unclean spirit, in the name of God, the Father Almighty, in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord and Judge, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and depart from this handwork of God. In the narrower sense of the word exorcism, it is differentiated from prayer in that prayer is addressed to God, whereas in exorcism, the demons themselves are addressed. They are ordered in the name of Jesus Christ to depart. Three such commands are found in the traditional or extraordinary form of the rite of baptism. These are called minor exorcisms. They are spoken in Latin. Translated into English, they are as follows, in part. Quote, Go out from him, or her, thou unclean spirit, and make way for the Holy Spirit, the Consoler. End quote. Quote, I cast thee out, unclean spirit, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Depart and vanish from this servant of God. End quote. Quote, I expel thee, every unclean spirit, in the name of God the Father Almighty, in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord and Judge, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and depart from this handwork of God. End quote. Similarly, the third and most specific meaning of the word exorcism is the rite of exorcism, in which demons are commanded again in the name of Jesus Christ, to depart from a person who 
they are possessing. Connected to this is the section of the rite of exorcism that is used to command demons to depart from a particular place to which they are attached, or that they have been attacking in some extraordinary way. An example of this is when, at Gerasene, the demons named Legion begged Jesus not to drive them from that area. Clearly, they had some kind of attachment to that specific location. Summary. Jesus and his apostles performed many exorcisms, driving demons out of possessed people. The power to drive demons from people and places has been handed down through the church. Minor exorcisms are done in traditional church rituals, such as baptism and blessing of holy water. The actual rite of exorcism has two parts, one for individuals possessed by demons, the second for places being attacked by demons.